Well, good morning, everyone. Kim told me to stand down here if it was possible, but I feel like I would literally fall off of that. So we're going to stand up here. I move a little, so hope that's all right. And I'm assuming you can see me. I can't see you, but good morning. So good to know that you're all out there. My name is Lisa Eggert, and I am the kids pastor at West End Assembly of God. And I share with you a friendship um, and a love for one of your Gaten families. Um, over time, I've gotten to know several of you, actually, but I have known the Lees. I've known Kim, actually, since August of 2003, when we started our master's program together at VCU, and then was got to be a part of the following additions, of course, Aaron and Tegan and Emery. They are some of my dearest and most cherished, cherished friends in the world. So it's exciting for me to get to be here in this place where I know they love and consider home. It's been so nice to meet um, their friends, and I've had a chance to meet Pastor Mike as well. And it's nice to be able to see what God is doing in other churches, right? Because I'm generally at mine. So thank you so much for having me here. I'm also thankful for this opportunity to share with you some things that have really been heavy on my heart over the last few years, at least over Maybe the last 11 or 12 years, I've been on several missions trips, um, locally and internationally as well. And two years ago, I was fortunate enough to spend um, five and a half weeks in one of my favorite places in the world, in India. And um, on one particular day of that trip, I was in northern India in a little taxi with a Muslim driver, a Hindu tour guide, and two Christian missionaries. So if you know anything at all about that part of the world, you would know that that grouping is a bit rare. Um, And it was during that time, you know, I had heard of the Good Samaritan story. I have heard of love your neighbor as yourself, but there was something about that moment in that taxi in that part of the world that God just began to speak to me even more and to challenge me in some ways that Um, has really opened my eyes to this idea of neighboring. I also just a few months ago preached a similar message at our church that I'm going to share with you this morning and just finished writing and directing our children's production, choir production that was entitled Love Your Neighbor, also about the Good Samaritan. So this has been on my mind. I listened to Michael's Um, message that was two weeks ago and got to hear how he shared so passionately about this intimate love relationship that we are offered with Jesus and then how we should love others the way that God loves us and listen to Kim's message last week about the challenge to be for our people and what that looks like to be for our neighbors and so I'm excited to now come and share this neighboring idea Um, once again this week. So thank you so, so much for having me here. The question of the hour is, who is your neighbor, right? That's not a very unusual question to be asked or to ask someone, who is your neighbor? I'm sure that we all have really amazing neighboring stories, right? When I was a kid, I spent lots of time at my grandparents' house and they had these incredible neighbors, B and John. I mean, just that name alone, right? B, B and John. We, my, they didn't have grandkids. And so whenever we were at my grandparents, my brother and I would run over and be um, just visiting them, stop at the candy jar, grab a few cookies off of their table. They were such kind neighbors. 
As I grew up a bit, we lived um, next door to a younger couple, Mike and Christine, and they had a piano and we lived in a townhouse with very thin walls. So I would hear um, Christine playing and whenever I'd hear her start to play, I'd actually run over and she'd let me just sit in her living room and listen to her play and just watch her, which sounds a little creepy now that I'm sharing it, but she was really sweet. And after she was done playing for a bit, she'd always call me over and I'd, got, I'd get to learn something new. They were so kind. A few years ago, um, I lived in a little one bedroom apartment nearby. And I, at first I loved it, it was just this tiny little apartment. And I was sitting in my living room and had, it was at the bottom level of the apartment complex, which of course means I had neighbors above me. And I was sitting in my living room and had this little slide door open and to this little patio and I was reading. And then all of a sudden I heard rain, didn't know that was in the forecast. And I looked out to realize it was not raining. It was in fact, my upstairs neighbor's dog peeing on their patio, coming straight down onto my patio furniture, which is awkward. And that was not an isolated event. And that was also not a place where I really ever hung out on that patio, that was rough. So you cannot uh, win them all, I suppose. But anyway, I wanna share God's word with you this morning. Um, some things that have been on my heart, some things that God's been challenging me, but I wanna remind you that I am um, just a messenger. I urge you this morning to really listen past my words, to allow God to speak his words and his truth into your heart and in your minds. Because when that happens, when we open our minds and really let God speak to us, that's when we change and that's what we want, right? So would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks for being in this place. Thanks for the things that you're doing in and through these people here at Gaten. I ask right now that you would just still our hearts and our minds, that you would open our ears to hear directly from you this morning. God, I pray that you would convict us and challenge us and change us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if someone were to ask you, who are your neighbors? How would you respond? You're thinking right now, right? My guess is that you'd automatically think of the people who live in the houses beside you or the apartments above you or below you. Maybe you share a fence or a tree or even a bus stop with your neighbors. Most of you probably know your neighbors' names. You probably know a few important things about them. You know, if they have kids or loud dogs or they like loud music, you probably know those important things about them, right? You probably, some of you maybe know your neighbors well if you've lived in the same place for long enough. Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that same question from a man over 2000 years ago and throughout their conversation, God's heart and desire for the way that we should live and treat others was revealed. Let me read the first part of this well-known interaction to you from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. 
Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the text says that this expert in religious law was testing Jesus. See, we know that he knew all the right answers. He proved that very quickly, right? With his quick and correct recitation of the law regarding just what he has to do to inherit eternal life. But he didn't stop there. It says that he was looking to justify himself. He was looking for a greater debate. So he asked Jesus a follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? I think that the religious expert was trying to understand the limits of his responsibility and and figure out just how much skin he really needed to have in this game of living up to God's standards and what all he really had to do, all those right things he needed to do to get into heaven. So Jesus so cleverly crafted his response by telling this story. It goes on to say, in reply, Jesus said, A Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion for him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this badly beaten, robbed, and left to die man was passed by not once, but twice by two very religious leaders of their day, a priest and a Levite, a temple assistant. Then the story takes a surprising turn when a Samaritan, who was despised by the Jews, sees the man and immediately goes to his aid. Now, You have to understand the history of hatred that's going on in this time before this will really matter or make a difference to you. The Jews saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, while they saw the Samaritans as a mixed race produced from intermarrying after Israel's exile. So these pure-breaded Jewish people hated these half-breaded Samaritans and vice versa. There was massive tension between these two groups of people, so much so that when Jewish travelers would have to go through Samaria, they would actually go all the way around that territory instead of through. Even though it lengthened their trip considerably, it was worth it to not have to see those people. Then the interaction between Jesus and the religious expert ends this way. Jesus asked, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The religious expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, yes, now go and do the same. 
The religious expert came through again, didn't he, with the correct answer. But I wonder what he was thinking as he walked away that day, hearing those potentially anxiety-provoking words. Now go and do the same. I mean, how could Jesus possibly expect that of him? Isn't that taking things just a bit too far? Did Jesus really understand the tension and the hatred and the disgust for those people? Now, sure, while time and culture and location are very different today, I think that if we were honest with ourselves, we'd maybe own up to struggling in some of the same ways that the religious experts struggled that day. For many of us, the command to love your neighbor as yourself is very well known, right? Even if you've only been here for two weeks here in this place, you've been hearing this, love your neighbor as yourself. We know this, right? But when push comes to shove, we seem to give ourselves permission to kind of put limits on what that really means, on what that responsibility really looks like. Like the religious expert, we find ways maybe to justify our thoughts or our actions. We, we create safety zones, zones where we're never too uncomfortable or we're never too fearful or we're never too inconvenienced. And when we do that, when we are, allow ourselves to kind of define what that responsibility looks like and make that responsibility okay for us, I think that our vision starts to decline a bit. I'll explain what I mean by that. After I've read this story over and over and over again, this is how God continues to speak to me and challenge me. Go home and read this story. Get on the Bible app and read it in 10 different versions. No matter the version that you read the Good Samaritan story in, you're going to read this. The priest saw the man and passed by him. The Levite saw the man and passed by him. You'll read that every time. This obviously wasn't an issue of poor vision. They very clearly saw the man left on the side of the road to die and then passed by, keeping a safe distance from him. Why? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that? Why Why would they do that? Why did the priest and the Levite so clearly see this man in need of help, yet still pass him by? Jesus didn't actually answer those questions in this story. But I have some of my own suspicions. I'm sure you all do too. For starters, to stop and help this guy would probably take some time, right? I'm guessing the priest and the Levite had places to go and people to see. They both had highly respectable jobs in the nearby temple. I'm sure they had a huge list of things to get done for that day. It really would be a pretty huge inconvenience on their agendas to stop and help. I mean, I'm not sure they had time for a half dead man on the side of the road. I'm also guessing that that half dead man on the side of the road was a bit of a mess. It says that he was stripped of his clothes, beaten and left to die. That to me sounds maybe a little bloody. We, I can't see you, but I'm confident that we try to clean ourselves up a bit, right? Before we go to church, like putting on our best clothes, doing the hair. We don't actually try to get really 
gross and messy and bloody before coming to church. So not only would this be a huge inconvenience in their schedules to stop and help, but it could be a little messy. And even if, even if you could possibly put aside your agenda and a little blood, would it really be safe to stop and help? I mean, who knows what this guy did? Who knows if these robbers were lurking on the side of the road, maybe ready to attack again? Who knows? Would it be safe? Forget being inconvenient and messy. Now they just want to get out of there alive. You know, it didn't seem to take but a few seconds before the priest and the Levite let selfishness and discomfort and fear completely creep in and dictate their actions now, you know, I obviously don't know these people in this story. I mean, obviously, right? Actually, keep in mind, these are just people in a story that Jesus is telling. So I'm standing here this morning confessing to you that I'm making some pretty hefty assumptions about the priest and the Levite. To be honest, the priest and the Levite always get a pretty bad rap when this story comes up, don't they? I get it. I mean... We know what they did, right? They just passed by someone who really needed their help. So I get it, but there's a chance that maybe they weren't horrible people. Have you thought of that? There's a chance maybe that they weren't horrible at all. There's a chance that maybe they were quite normal people. And that's the part of the story that scares me, actually. How similar might I be to the priest and to the Levite, how quickly might I allow selfishness and discomfort and fear creep in and totally dictate my actions and my thoughts? The Samaritan man saw this man beaten on the side of the road too, but he had a different response. It says that when he saw the man, he had compassion on him and did what? It says that he went to him. He obviously saw this man with human eyes, the same kind of eyes that the priest and the Levite saw him with, right? I'm convinced though that Jesus told this story so that we'd understand that seeing people involves more than just our eyes. It involves our heart, it has to. Seeing people with our eyes alone doesn't motivate us to go and help someone. But seeing people the way that God sees people with a heart of compassion should motivate us to cross the street and go to him. We would probably all here agree that it's less work to love people who are like us, right? It's safer to spend time with people who value the same things that we value and believe the same things that we believe and share in our interests. It's far more convenient to do life with people who have few needs and don't take up too much time in our already full schedules. But surely that wasn't what Jesus had in mind when he told this story about the good neighbor. If we know anything at all about Jesus, we know that his love for people always goes deep and wide, always. 
Should we love our neighbors? Yes. But who are our neighbors? That really is an answer that spans across zip zip codes and addresses and school zones and cities and states and countries and continents, as well as the person who lives next door to you. In Bob Goff's book entitled, Everybody Always, he says this about neighbors. Each of us is surrounded every day by our neighbors. They're ahead of us, behind us, on each side of us. They're every place we go. They're sacking groceries and attending city council meetings. They're holding cardboard signs on street corners and raking leaves next door. They play high school football and they deliver the mail. They're heroes and hookers and pastors and pilots. They live on the streets and they design our bridges. They go to seminaries and they live in prisons. They govern us and they bother us. They're everywhere we look. It's one thing we all have in common. We're all somebody's neighbor and they're all ours. This has been God's simple yet brilliant plan from the beginning. He made a whole world of neighbors. We call it earth, but God just calls it a really big neighborhood. Who is your neighbor? There's a documentary about Mr. Rogers that's come out recently. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. I am so challenged by his intentionality and the way that he really did live out being a good neighbor. There's a quote that he says in several of his speeches that I really think addresses the core of the issue that we're talking about this morning. He says this, we live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say, it's not my child, not my community, not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people heroes. It's about responsibility, isn't it? We have a great responsibility to be a good neighbor to all. We're commanded by God, not asked, not gently reminded. We're commanded by God to care for those who live close by and those who live across the seas. We're commanded to love those who have in abundance and those who lack much. We're commanded to love those who love well and deeply and those who fight harshly. We're commanded to care for those who share our faith and for those who don't. We are called by God to not only care for the safe and the convenient and the comfortable, but for the messy and for the unknown and for the inconvenient as well. You know, when the Samaritan man entered into the story that Jesus told that day, the definition of neighbor changed. All religious and cultural and political and socioeconomical differences were put aside. And in that moment, it simply became about helping another human being in need. It became about seeing people the way that God sees people with his heart. And you know what I think? When we start seeing people who are different from us the way that God sees people, 
We'll stop using names like they and them and those people. When we speak about people like that, we're keeping them at a distance. We're staying on our side of the street. If we're going to have relationships with our neighbors, we need our perspectives to shift and our hearts to change. We need our vision to be aligned with God's mission. Why is it anyway that we so often think of those people, them, as enemies? They aren't really an enemy, are they? And really when you get right down to it, they're not any different from you and me. You know, we're all sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. Many of us here know very well the scripture in Romans 3 that talks about all of us being sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. You know what that means? That we're all a mess on our own. But I'm so thankful that God didn't think that we were too messy to get involved with. Actually, you know what it says? It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That while we were still a mess, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to be tortured and killed on the cross for you and for your neighbor. God loves you and he loves your neighbor. God desperately wants a relationship with you and he desperately wants a relationship with your neighbor. So who is your neighbor? As you begin to let yourself answer that question this morning, Let me ask you, who or what have you allowed to define who your neighbor is? That might sound like a a weird question, I know, but we we have things that have kind of defined in our lives who our neighbors really are, even if we've heard this story a hundred times. So who, who or what have you allowed to define who your neighbor is? Your friends, your family, your education, your workplace, TV, social media, history, maybe, the church. I'm asking you that this morning as I've asked my church a few months ago and as I continue to ask myself that because I believe that until we allow God to define who our neighbor is, we're going to keep getting it wrong. Our eyes on our own just aren't good enough. We've allowed these things, family and friends and our education and our workplace and TV and social media and history and churches to blur our vision and crowd our hearts. So would you be willing this morning to examine your heart? Would you be brave enough to allow God to be the one who gets to define who your neighbor is? I don't for a minute stand up here and think that that's some easy God change my heart kind of prayer and go to lunch. It's not. This is serious and it runs deep in our hearts and in our cities and in the world, but it's worth it. 
And not only is it worth it, it's expected of us who call ourselves followers of Christ's. It's expected of us. You know, we are living in direct disobedience of God's word when we do not cross the street and extend love to our neighbors. So this morning, would you let God begin to define who your neighbor is? Would you let him come in and do some deep and maybe even really difficult transformational work in your heart? Because I'm convinced that our vision will not change until our hearts do. But when our hearts begin to change, it'll make all the difference in the world. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and I'd like to invite you just to where you're sitting, just take a minute or two. You know, a minute or two could be super awkward just in quiet, I I get that. But we need minutes like this, where we really step into a space where God can begin to speak to us. And so I'd like to just ask you to have a conversation with him right now. Maybe you've never even considered who your neighbor is or what that looks like or what that command means for you. So just take a minute or two sitting where you're at and then I'll close us in prayer. God, I ask that you would begin to speak to us in a way that would change our hearts. I ask that you would begin to convict us and show us the ways that you would have us love our neighbors, the easy ones and the difficult ones. God, I pray that you would begin to define for us today who our neighbors really are, and that you'd challenge us and equip us to love others well. God, I pray that you would give us a heart of compassion, that we would see a need and immediately go to it. God, and I, I humbly ask that you would use us to change our communities and our cities and our world. God, thank you for loving us. God, change us every day to be more like you. We love you and pray all of these things 
In Jesus' name, amen.